Hello and welcome back to Tuesday Dobbses. Thank you everyone as always for getting in touch with all of your thoughts. Best place to do so, comments section below. And if you've got a longer story to tell, you can send an email to hi at Tuesday at Dobbs.com. And I try when possible to post some stories and pics as well on Instagram, which is Tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. Although I must I must get better at posting more on Instagram for this account. I will try my best to do so from this week. I'll begin this week with, I had so many good ride stories, your rides, the bikes you ride, the places you go. I thought it's the perfect place to start this week's episode. I begin with Lewis, Freddie, and I'll put the pictures up as I chat about each of these experiences. Freddie, I've been riding in Southeast Asia Working fully remotely here now for two years. I started just backpacking, but quickly discovered that the only way I wanted to explore was on two wheels. So I started on an NMAX across much of Indonesia, taking ferries between islands before settling in Bali. After quite some time, I graduated to a Kawasaki W175. You know, it's so funny, Lewis. It feels like there's a choice of probably about six bikes or so in Indonesia because both of these bikes I've ridden. The NMAX is seen as, along with the X-Max, one of the ultimate scooters and the W175 Kawasaki, one of the coolest customs. I know them well. I continue. I'm now living in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I just rode the Mai Hong Son Loop on a Royal Enfield Classic 350. It's five days across northern Thailand, all the way up to Myanmar and the border. Beautiful roads, beautiful mountain views, rice fields, tea fields, squirrely dirt roads at times, glorious sunny weather, but also cold, wet and raining. I now feel like I'm living a bit of a biker's dream. This week I rented a Honda Monkey and next week I'm trying out the Honda SCL 300. Lewis, two years in Southeast Asia, riding around on motorbikes. That is the biking dream, fantastic. Moving on to Jamie. Freddie, I wanted to share with you my two up, six week European tour. Two up, six weeks with my European partner. With my European partner. My European tour with my partner. I saved up and bought a 2016 Bonneville T120 in June and fitted it with a Givy hard luggage setup. Let me just soak that in. Six weeks, two up. That's, oh, respect. That's brilliant. I continue. I then got down, I then got down on one knee and proposed to my girlfriend moments before we set off as fiancés from London to thousand miles to Hanko, Finland, where she's from. We took the Harwich to Hook of Holland ferry, then travelled through the Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, over the Oresund bridge to Sweden, then finally another ferry from near Stockholm to Finland. We stayed at Airbnbs along the way and booked just one or two nights ahead to keep the plan open. We stayed in Finland for two weeks with her family before setting off and making the 2,000-mile trip back home. Wow. There are few things more inspiring than looking around at the sea on all sides, waving at other bikers touring 
on a fresh, misty Scandinavian morning as you cross the 16-kilometre-long Orisund Bridge. Jamie. You will never forget that, Jamie. Trip of a lifetime. Congrats on the engagement. Moving on to Leon and Kim. Freddie, last week my girlfriend Kim and I took the Eurotunnel and headed down south to France. Two up. We booked nothing in advance other than the tunnel and camped for the whole trip. You know, you are all putting, putting me to shame for what I thought a proper biking trip was. Two up, camping the entire time. My bike is a 2020 Triumph Scrambler 1200XC. Maybe not the first choice for touring, but it never missed a beat. I think we can honestly say it was the best trip of our lives. We headed down south to Dijon with a stop off at the old F1 pits just outside Reims. From Reims we rode to Grenoble and picked up the route Napoleon down to Nice with a few modifications. From there we ride the coast road to Monaco and on to Monton. Monton is stunning. Really beautiful if anyone goes down to southern France. Lovely spot. It's an amazing place, especially as we're both avid F1 fans. In total, we covered 2,169 miles in eight slash nine days. Camping in France is amazing, affordable, and cheap. We would ride till 5 p.m.-ish, then we would Google local campsites. We never had an issue. We've worked out the costs for the trip, and for absolutely everything, this is food, fuel, Eurotunnel, etc. Bear in mind this is for eight to nine days, two up travel. Get ready for this. It cost under £1,100 sterling for the two of us. I think that is amazing value. What a trip of a lifetime. It's, uh, sorry, what was a trip of a lifetime is hopefully going to be a more regular occurrence. Leon and Kim. Just reading that, Leon and Kim. Desperate now to jump back on the bike. I mean, I need my Bonneville back, but I'm desperate to jump on the bike because just the most beautiful feel-good vibes there. Moving on to Dragon, a Croat in Dublin. Freddie, we moved from Croatia to Dublin and I bought a brand new 2023 Africa Twin Adventure Sport. People call the old versions the Warhorse, and I think that's the right name for this bike. We went from Dublin to France by ferry and rode to Monaco. And from there, we headed all the way to, Bal to Valencia, to Barcelona, Valencia, Madrid, and Bilbao. From Bilbao, we took the ferry back to Ireland, this was about 4,000 kilometers of riding heaven. We experienced a lot of positive vibes from other bikers. One even offered his weekend house by the beach in Cannes for us to stay. Love the biker community, Dragon. Dragon, I hope you took them up on that. What a place to stop. And finally, on to Jennifer from Alberta, Canada, Freddie. I've been working as a parts sales, or I've been working, sorry, as a parts person slash salesperson for over 17 years at a motorcycle salvage shop. It's called Recycle Motorcycles. I've gotten to test hundreds of bikes from as old as 1966 up to current bikes. I cannot even count them all. 
Working in that environment allowed me to buy and sell bikes. And today I've personally owned more than 32 motorcycles. Now you've got to be on close to two bikes a year, Jennifer. Wow. I have, and I currently have, uh, here we go, three motorcycles to date. I love helping new riders get into riding where I can suggest good starter bikes and good gear to invest in for first time riders. I can also recommend good bikes to purchase and ones to avoid due to my experience working in parts. That is a very useful bit of info to have there. I especially love helping the ladies getting into riding, being the only woman working at our shop. I have filled a needed space. Jennifer, Alberta, Canada. Jennifer, I love looking at the kind of bikes that people own who work in shops like yours, because you will know the reliable bikes and you will know the bikes where parts are readily available and fairly priced. So it's extra interesting seeing what people like yourself ride, Jennifer. Thank you for that. Old school bikers. Last year I discussed Old school bikers, has biking changed? What's changed about it? Where are all of those old school bikers that we discussed last week? And I said, get in touch if you've got any stories. And I have a few. I've tried to whittle this down because there were some really good ones here. Let's begin with Joe. Dear Freddie, being an apologies, because I guess these are all old school stories, let's say from the 70s, 80s, maybe early 90s, but let's say 70s and 80s. Pictures are few and far between, and in this case, no pictures at all for obvious reasons. So I begin. Freddie, being an old biker at 65 years old, I still, and still riding all year round, I think I'm qualified to share my thoughts on this. The 1970s, and 1980s. Biking was a lifestyle for many, meeting up with mates, going to rallies and shows. It was a major part of your life. You'd share it with your girlfriend or wife, even kids going to shows. You'd see whole families there. We rode what we could afford from old Triumphs to use Japanese bikes with a few Italians and a very rare Harley Davidson in there. Maintenance and repairs were done by ourselves or your mates if help was needed. What did we wear back then? This gives a great insight. Levi's jeans, leather jacket, donkey jacket over it. Don't know what that is. Donkey jacket over it in the winter and military surplus waterproofs. We also have had in the 1990s the Harleys becoming a fashion item and more affordable through the mad credit culture. Then we had the long way round and the adventure bike craze, plus the grey Gore-Tex suits that cost more than what we would have paid for our bikes in the 70s and 80s. Those born again riders riding sports bikes with matching leathers, often with ambition, far outreaching the available talent, sadly, with many tragic results. And finally, so where are these old bikers now, according to, according to Joe? Unfortunately, their numbers have dwindled due to age, health and death. The survivors are around, many involved in the classic scene, meeting up on bike nights and bike meets at the weekend. I move on. SQ Tear Hog. Back in the 1970s, the late 1970s, as a teenager, 
I owned a 1969 Triumph Bonneville. I'm not too embarrassed to admit, by that time I'd seen the movie The Wild One. So before I got on the Bonneville, I made sure I had jeans, boots, white tee with rolled up sleeves and aviator sunglasses. I felt that this was the dress code, to be like Marlon Brando or James Dean. Also, my older brother took a pack of his cigarettes, brackets, I still have never smoked, and rolled them up on my left arm slash shoulder. I was now authentic, according to my brother. Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. I love it. From Gary, I move on. I started riding in 1977. I was one of the black jacket, dirty jeans bikers. Hells Angels Kent Customs bike show in the early 1980s and loads of other meets. We drank at a biker's pub called the Queen's Arms, Windsor Castle in Maidenhead or the Nag's Head. All now long gone. We were a group of 20 to 30 on a good day. Now respectable, in my 60s, still riding and still no mates from those great days. It was sex, drugs and rock and roll or hard rock. Moving on, the final one here from X15. Freddie, I can remember riding to the Isle of Sheppey in 1976 with a load of others from the Ipswich section of the NCC. I was riding a chopped, a chopped plunger ES2 Norton. I have no idea what that would look like. I'll try and Google if I can find a pic, I'll put one up. Chopped plunger ES2 Norton and a mate of mine was on a 650 BSA Lightning chop. Okay, I'm picturing it here. A group of choppers, 1970s England, whizzing along. It's a good image but uh, must have been at least 20 of us bombing down to Sheppey. The field was packed when we got there and I can remember most of the bikes there heading to a nearby pub for a piss up, then back later. There were bikes riding around the field with people being dragged along, hanging onto ropes. Later a big fire was lit. I think a lot of the wood was dragged off the stage where the band played. A lot of amphetamine was used and someone went into a nearby field and got a sheep which was duly prepared and roasted. I'm 73 years old now, still riding and I've got six bikes which I've made myself. Old habits die hard. This is, you know, this is exactly, this is exactly the image I had in my mind. What a day to be around. What a time to be around as a biker. It's the exact image I thought it would be, to the T. I'm moving on. Thank you so much all. I had so much fun reading through all of those. So much fun. I almost wish there were pictures just to share and, and put up as I was talking, but I don't think any of you were worrying about photos with, with the madness going on at the time. Brilliant, brilliant. Insurance quotes, I move on. This is with regards to how crippling some insurance quotes were. Have a listen to some of these from Paddy. I got quoted 9,999 pounds. Yes, you've heard that correctly. To insure my Kawasaki H2. Thankfully, after talking to Kawasaki's insurance scheme, I got fully comp for a more manageable, manageable 750 pounds. A lot of people, I'm bumping in here, 
a lot of people have said, if you're struggling to get insurance for your motorbike, you need to speak to the, the manufacturer. So speak to Honda, speak to Kawasaki, to Triumph, and usually they will be able to sort you out with a much better insurance quote. Moving on to Steve. Freddie, my first quote on a Triumph Bobber, £4,500. On to Jam. I have an MV Augusta Super Veloce. That's one of the most beautiful bikes I've ever, ever seen. I have no garage. I have four years no claims bonus and I live in a good area. My quote, £3,500 a year fully comp. The only other option was doing third party only and they wanted just £450 a year for that. The bike's currently sitting in my front room as an expensive ornament. On to, on to Archie. Freddie, I've just moved from, I've just moved to Leeds University with my Royal Enfield Classic 350. Phoned my insurance company this morning and simply by changing my address and my policy, my annual premium has increased from £500 a year to £1,800 a year. It just goes to show how much living in the city impacts insurance rates, even for a bike as small as a Classic. Okay. I wanted to see if I could help out here a bit. How important for insurance is it to, to buy an older bike? So you get a huge quote for, let's say, your brand new Harley Davidson, Ducati, etc., etc., And it's just crippling. It's too much. But you've got your heart set on that exact model. What's the harm in potentially, if you want to look at that model, just buying the oldest version of that model within reason that you can. So you still get that model, it's just an older version. Will that have any impact on the price of the insurance, on the insurance premium? How much does the age of the vehicle and with that the value dictate the insurance premium? So I typed in into my insurance quote, Suzuki SV650. And I put a 2017 model in to the search, living in London and garaged. My quote for a 2017 model valued at £3,500, £130 a year. But what if I wanted a newer model, Suzuki SV650, from 2022? Everything else exactly the same, except it's worth £6,000 and not £3,500. And bear in mind, there isn't that big a difference here. It's just a £2,500 difference because the SV650 is a cheap bike. But even with that just £2,500 difference in the older compared to the newer SV650, my insurance premium has gone from £130 a year to £216 pounds a year. That's a significant jump. And you can imagine what would happen if you're looking at more expensive bikes like the MV Augusta, like the Harley Davidson. So it may well be worth it if you're getting crippling quotes, just look for older, cheaper, less valuable versions of that bike. So you still get all of the feeling from the new bike, but just with a much, much more manageable insurance premium. I move on. Bike of the week. This isn't a bike to the best of my knowledge, that anyone has 
ever mentioned to me. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone owning this bike or anyone recommending this bike. But it is a bike that I remember when I passed my test about 13 years ago or so, and a few of my friends we all passed at a similar time. And this is a bike with such a reputation, so revered and so respected that it would almost be an ongoing joke when one of us passed would say, oh, what bike are you buying? And then we'd just joke and we'd say, Hayabusa. Just because the Suzuki Hayabusa is such a ridiculously powerful bike, it is almost seen as a kind of Widowmaker. It's so dangerous, so performance focused, so ridiculously out there with the styling, the performance. It's almost seen as just too dangerous for many. But this is a bike that came out in 1999. And although you had the Honda Blackbird that came out a few years earlier, this really is, or was seen as, the ultimate original sports tourer, the ultimate rocket. Whether you want to call it a hyperbike, a sports tourer, uh, a muscle superbike, it was seen as the pinnacle of performance when it came out. In its current form, it's a 340cc bike. I'll put up here, this is what it looks like new. 340cc, 264 kilograms, and 190 horsepower, and it's got a cost of 18,000 pounds. But, but, how about the original that came out in 1999 and was made until 2007? That's the Gen 1 Suzuki Hayabusa. Because there will surely be very few other bikes in the past 25 years that, that will immediately go down with legendary status like the Hayabusa. It's a hugely, hugely respected bike. Just the name itself, it, it demands respect. Just the name itself. You say Hayabusa, it's a conversation starter immediately. Have a listen to this. This is on Suzuki's website about the original Generation 1 Suzuki Hayabusa. The distinctive and impactful styling of the original Hayabusa was designed using the upper body armour and helmet worn by a samurai warrior as a motif to realise superlative aerodynamics and thoroughly protect the rider from the wind. This is where things get interesting. I mean, that's cool in itself. Original bike, 340cc, or sorry, the new 2023 model, 340cc, or 1,340cc. The original bike, 1,300cc. So as near as makes no difference, the same cc. The, or the new bike, sorry, 264 kilograms wet weight, and I've got a few quotes here that it would be dry of around about 220, 230 kilos dry. Yet the original model is 215 kilos dry weight. So the original is a good 15 to 25 kilos lighter than the new model. New model, 190 horsepower. But what would that have been 24 years ago? you're probably thinking significantly less, significantly less. No, 173 horsepower from the original, meaning that in 24 years, it's only actually gained 17 horsepower. I'll put this into some form of relativity for you to show you just how much of a monster the Hayabusa was. Back in 1999, when the Hayabusa came out, 
This was the last year of the BMW GS 1100 from 1994 to 1999. This big BMW had 80 horsepower. So the Hayabusa had over 70 or over 90 horsepower more than this. How about the Honda Fireblade from 1992 to 1999? The ultimate performance superbike. 128 horsepower. So it's about 45 horsepower more than the Fireblade. Phenomenal figures from back in the day. So if you need to spend 18K on a new one, on a bike that I honestly believe will be as, as sure fire a future classic in the, in the past 25 years from any bike that's been made in the past quarter of a century as you could ever hope to find. How well do they hold their value? Well, I've been looking and they do hold their value better than I thought they would. You really do need to spend at least £4,000 plus for any one of the Generation 1 bikes. And it doesn't seem to make much difference if you're looking for a 1999 model all the way up to a 2007 model. Not only have the prices completely bottomed out, but I would suggest they've started rising a little bit as well. These are becoming very, very early stages, sought after bikes now. But I found one on Facebook Marketplace that I think looks like an especially good deal. Have a listen. For, bear in mind, an iconic bike. Genuine bit of history here. I found the first year ever made. I wanted to see if I could find one of these to buy one of the first that would have come over to the UK within the first year. 1999 Suzuki Hayabusa, £3,500, thousand miles on the clock. Pictures being put up as I discuss. Have a listen. This is the kind of seller you want to buy from ideally. Original 1999 Suzuki Hayabusa. This has had no expense spared. Superb condition. Upgraded from Brembo calipers fitted last year. Full GE Yoshi exhaust worth one and a half thousand pounds with receipts to prove. Power Commander 3 full map and rolling road report. This bike makes a genuine 186 horsepower. That is just four horsepower less than the newer bike that's 24 years younger. Comes with many expensive extras and has been meticulously maintained. Runs as new and has STD back seat and the rare optional hump. Scott Oiler fitted, new chain, sprockets, good rubber, new brake pads, first to see will buy. It is in exceptional condition. One thing I want to put up here, and this is also relevant for the insurance as well. If you're looking at a higher booster, check one of these out because if I put 1999 higher booster right here and 2023 higher booster here, they look almost identical. I couldn't believe it when I was researching this today. They've kept the styling, the engine size, the horsepower, everything almost identical. And I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. And I'll speak to you all in the next one.